0: All right, so welcome to Mark Vernon, to the Game Cool Books podcast. Uh, I've never met you before, but I got your name from Rory O'Connor over at the Owen Barfield website. Um, And he suggested that I talk to you. And so I reached out and you've been very gracious to uh, offer some time here to to talk and answer some questions about Philip Pullman, The Golden Compass, and related matters. could you just introduce yourself a bit here so that we know, uh, me and the audience, I guess, uh, where your background is and how you found Philip Pullman and uh, some of that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, well, thank you very much for reaching out. And I'm very glad to speak. Um, so I'm uh, a UK-based psychotherapist. I live in London and I write as well and do um, it's a journalism as well as things of book length. And in fact, the first time um, I met Philip Pullman was through a mutual friend. Um, and I was writing a book about humanism. And the book was looking at the deep history of humanism as much as humanism in the 20th and 21st century. So for example, Renaissance humanism. And Philip Pullman was well known for um, endorsing Richard Dawkins' book, which was relatively new at the time. Mm. And I said to him, you seem to be like a really bad atheist because you 're so interested in alchemy and spirits and other worlds and all sorts of things which don 't seem to fit the materialist paradigm and The upshot was of our conversation was that he agreed to write an introduction to this book I was writing on humanism, which include this deep history of humanism and, and the Renaissance humanist interest in the occult, for example, as well as other things. Um, so I, I, I met him there, and I, I loved his books uh, very much. Um, and um, I've been in touch with a little bit about uh, Owen Barfield as well, who was one of the Inklings. So he's one of the less famous Inklings alongside C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, although both Lewis and Tolkien said he had the best ideas. Um, and of course, Philip is based in Oxford as well. And so there was this, you know, kind of uh, a few ideas uh, and, and common threads knocking around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really
0: read much Barfield, I've heard of him. Right, yeah, through those, those connections with C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Um, how do you, I know his, his writings and ideas sort of focus around the idea of the evolution of consciousness over long periods of time. It sounds like that's something that you've studied quite a bit. Um, how do you see Pullman fitting into that conversation about the evolution of consciousness um, and carrying it forward? Or, or what is he doing with that idea?
1: Perhaps a little sketch of of Barfield's idea would help and that definitely get a sense of whether they feel Philip Pullman's work is fitting in or not. Um, So Barfield had this idea that over periods of sort of cultural time, so over the last say 3,000 years particularly, you can track shifts of human consciousness, um, by which he just meant the experience of what it is to be human in relation to the natural world or in relation to God's. And he thought that had changed very dramatically. Um, He realized this through his study of words. He was a philologist Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hence a link to Tolkien as well. um, And realized that a lot of words that you can say read in Homer or Plato actually captured a completely different world experience um, from the one that we inhabit now. So just take a word like theory. And my PhD was on Plato and the word theory is a key word in Plato as much as in you know, modern science and, and investigation. But Theoria for Plato captured as much a sense of pilgrimage that you would go on a journey that would sort of completely transform your worldview. Um, so it was, it was a very kind of embodied experiential engagement with the world and the cosmos, your mind for sure, but um, as much a kind of journey. So for example, Plato's well-known myth of the cave Um, which is where prisoners are strapped to the back of the cave and they think they see reality, but it's just shadows dancing on the wall of the cave. And then they find their way out of the cave and and eventually reach the sunlight after various kind of twists and turns. Um, That would be a theoria for Plato, um, a journey that didn't just change your mental ideas about the world, but changed your experience of the world completely. That was the sort of prior um, sense of things. So that was about, That started to shift, Barfield thought, um, and uh, particularly um, at the beginning of the Christian period. He thought that the reason why Christianity is so successful in the West is because the life of Jesus and then people's reflections upon it too um, kind of brought this all together and in particular brought together um, a, a pivotal sense of the individual in all things. the individual, for example, started to gain a sense that they had something called free will that doesn't really exist in the ancient world. Mm. Um, And um, conscience, for example, that started to emerge um, and becomes a very important thing. Um, And a whole sort of group of things that we regard as absolutely fundamental to being an individual really were brought together in the Christian dispensation. Um, So that was a sort of middle period that Barfield got interested in. Um, And he argued that now in the modern world, we've undergone another shift of consciousness, um, another way of participating in the world. Participation is a key word for him. This sort of sense of how we share, know, um, whether we feel we have a porous or a buffered self, um, how we regard ourselves in relation to others, to gods, um, to mortality and immortality, all these kind of experiences um, that are often associated with spiritual wisdom traditions. They've shifted again very dramatically in the modern world, and understanding what that's about um, is very much part of our challenge today. Um, You know, some people become atheists, others become agnostics, some become sort of more conservative and try to hold on to older religious traditions. Barfield himself felt that we need to work out how to engage with the world anew, that this kind of evolution of consciousness these shifts. They have um, a downside, um, they leave us feeling alienated and disconnected, for example. But they have an upside because they intensify our sense of self and in, pr- in principle at least potentially enable us to re-engage with the world once more afresh um, in new and, and, and vivid ways. So I think that um, Philip Pullman knows about Barfield. Um, he's, part, he's sort of in the Oxford milieu. Um, he would have read, I imagine, bits about C.S. Lewis, who of course he detests. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, Barfield and Lewis had big arguments. So he might have found something that he preferred in Barfield um, than, than, than in Lewis. Although Barfield um, was very clearly a theist. Um, in fact, he was very influenced um, in uh, the later part of his life by Rudolf Steiner, who's a kind of German mystic and philosopher. So I'm sure that Philip would start to feel a bit queasy at that point. Um, but nonetheless, I think his, Philip Pullman's engagement with um, different Consciousnesses, um, our own consciousness, and how you know it can be manifest in demons and so on. Um, the sense of journeying in his book, you know, his books are all about journeying um, and discovering new worlds as that unfolds. Um, you know, the, the, these are quite sort of common themes in a way. They're they're not just Barfield's idea, but they. If you read Philip Pullman with Barfieldian eyes, you start to feel he's picking up on something. Um, that Barfield articulated quite clearly.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting lens to look at Pullman's work. And I I don't know that anyone has undertaken that yet. I could just be ignorant of uh, the scholarship that's out there. Um, But it's something that, as I've been going along, I've been trying to read some of the academic work that's been done so far on Pullman. Um, And I'm finding less of it than I expected, actually. Uh, But again, that could just be my own myopia. But so in this sense that we're trying to maybe contribute something to that, um, what do you see as the most fruitful lens to read Pullman uh, via uh, humanism, via philosophy and ancient myth, as you've sort of mentioned, maybe Platonic or Homeric or other mythological frames, uh, philological like Lewis and Tolkien and Barfield, um, within that, that general milieu of Oxford and the Inklings, I think these are all sort of candidates, but do you have a thought on um, what you would say is the most fruitful way to unpack more of what's in
1: Pullman that then has been explored so far? Well, maybe a common uh, sort of subject area that might link make a lot of links in the ways you suggest there is 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 Philip Pullman's psychology, the mm-hmm. psychology that's operative in his books. Um, so one thing is you know, hugely well-known and hugely appealing about his books is how he sort of objectifies psychology in the creation of the notion of demons, that, um, you know, demons are, as it were, our inner world made manifest in some way, and that much as, I mean, I work as a psychotherapist, and one of the things which you try to foster in psychotherapy is people befriending their inner life, mm. and rather than their inner life um, being something to be afraid of, or that they, they feel very ambivalent about. Um, to befriend your inner life, um, and people are, you know, children, particularly, are, are completely friends with their demons um, in in Philip Pullman's books. And of course, it's very traumatic um, when the demons get separated and, and all that as well. Um, so, um, I think that, that that sense that the inner life has a, vit- a real vitality um, is very, very rich. Um, where my understanding of um, Philip Pullman's um, stops and where someone like Barfield would carry on is that I think, certainly in his essays, um, Philip's very clear that he thinks it's just intra-psychic. It's just, as it were, what's going on in my mind um, that's, you know, relatively isolated from your mind. We have to make quite a lot of effort to, as it were, share what's going on in our minds, mm-hmm. we humans rather than his characters. Um, and um, Barfield thought that that wasn't the case. That um, in a way, the contents of our minds are only partially our own, um, but that a lot of our thoughts um, are themselves objective. Um, You know, if I think one plus one equals two, for example, um, that's not my own thought. That's a thought that I share with you, and is almost sort of share with the cosmos. Um, So, um, uh, Barfield has a much more porous sense of the mind, um, and that the mind the contents of our inner life are actually um, spiritual entities or all sorts of entities that exist on their own, actually, that our minds kind of tap into or use or or relate to or don't relate to. Um, Mm -hmm. And this makes him much more sort of spiritual, you might say. Whereas I think Philip Pullman wants to stay squarely psychological and he wants to kind of reduce it to psychology, even though it's very beautiful the way he talks about it.
0: Yeah, well, so he does this metaphorically in his works, right? He has occult forces and the witches and the armored bears. And, of course, the demons are all manifest, as you say. Um, but it's a, it's in the context of the narrative. It's, a, it's his sort of story. It's not his um, uh, actual physics or metaphysics, uh, exactly. Uh, and if you could say a little more about what you mean by befriending your uh inner life or your your relationship with your demon right to put it in the the context of his dark materials um, what does that look like what's the process there what are some of the obstacles to that and and how do you overcome them
1: well i think part of the appeal of um his dark materials is that um it does treat inner life as um having not just the vitality um a sort of sense of aliveness but as being alive um you know with discrete entities you know the demons are discrete entities and and the witches um are are different kinds of beings but the point is they're sort of beings as well um and um so i think that has a huge appeal in an age where people are quite inclined to think that their brain just sort of produces consciousness as a kind of byproduct um you know people will often say in conversation oh it's just my amygdala firing or, you know, I'm having a serotonin rush or something like that. As if it's pure um, neurochemistry. Um, now, I mean, I work uh, in, a, in a hospital, a mental health hospital, and um, you, it's relatively rare for psychiatrists to think that that's really the case. Um, it's just but somehow it's percolated out into the wider culture. Um, that We're very ambivalent. Is it just chemistry or is there a kind of real vitality here? Um, and I think that the way that, Philip Pullman absolutely sort of nails it and says, no, there's a real vitality here. And here's a, a, a way of, of, of enjoying it in, in, by reading his books. Um, is it, really admirable and, and would be certainly part of the appeal.
0: And, and the idea of, of befriending that, do you think that has to do with this, this process of enjoying stories and, and things like that? Or, um
1: what, what what all goes into that? Um, yeah, well, you, so working out how to have a dialogue, I guess, with your inner life, uh-huh. how to uh, talk to it and address it. Um, and that can partly be done by talking to others. Um, and, you know, we all know that in friendship or when we have people we find difficult, um, this stuff gets fired up inside us. So we, as it were, project onto others and then it comes back and talks to us again. Um, dreams. Um, you know, I think dreams are a time when our inner life kind of takes over and our waking consciousness, our ego, um, as it's often said, sort of steps to one side and and this inner vitality kind of runs with its own life. Um, and so knowing dreams and then working out how to relate to dreams, how to hold your dreams in mind the next morning is a way of, of befriending your inner life, how to understand them, um, their images. Um, and, um, Seeing the pattern of your life, um, because it's a sort of premise of, 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 of psychology that um, we tend to um, act out certain patterns in life, um, even when we feel we have nothing to do with it. You know, so an obvious example would be where we, um, we tend to make the same mistakes in relationships, say, and then we start to think, wait a minute, maybe this has got something to do with me um, and understanding that. So that too is kind of a way of, of understanding and starting to talk to your inner life. So that, that's what I mean by befriending it.
0: Yeah, and again, I find this really interesting in in the sense of um, the conflict or the contrast, at least, between science and religion. And it sounds sort of like your concept of psychotherapy and psychology is is dealing with sort of the boundary between those two sides, where on on the one hand, you're you're not reducing everything strictly to material processes and saying positively that that's all there is on the other hand you're not um fully in the world of of um the occult or the the spiritual Um, you're sort of navigating the space between those two things uh it sounds like to me at least is is that a fair
1: characterization yeah i i mean i i see essentially matter as the manifestation of um or spirit say but 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 that, that's perhaps a bit too complicated or loaded a term It means so many different things but certainly matters just one as it were end of a whole hierarchy of being that would be a platonic way of putting it plato thought that that our bodies um are just a, a tangible sort of um pole of our um, whole being That that our bodies for example are animated by our souls which just m- the word animated is uh, animus, is the Latin for soul. You know, it's just it's what gives our body vitality. Um, that makes it different from, say, stones. Um, and 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 when you meet someone, you don't just meet them as a body; you meet them as a character, as a person, kind of coming through their body. Um, and you know, if you've ever been with anyone who's died, you have this sense that something has left the body. The body changes. So, you, know, you have body, then you have soul. Um, I think you can then have what you might call kind of spirit. Um, which would be something a bit more collective. It's not just your own and what you're making of your life, but um, is a kind of vitality that's shared by, say, virtue of being a human being, um, or by being alive at a particular time. Um, you know, the Zeitgeist. Geist is the German for spirit. So that that kind of notion, um, and uh, you know, and then if you if you want to push it back a step further, you could get into some kind of pantheism, um, uh, maybe a world soul. You know, of which. Um, our individual soul is a kind of wave on a sea um, and you know and, and, the- and theistic notions could fit into that as well that um, God is the kind of ground of all that being so it's like a kind of uh, I know an inverted cone or something and we just are, are, are conscious mostly of the tip which is the kind of physical presence and that the animated quality of the physical presence but it's not that hard to get a deeper sense of this being um, that, that's continuous rather than one or the other. I think, you know, that the dualistic notion doesn't really take you very far. You just end up in fights of which one is it then? Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, I, the minute you reflect on your own experience, you realize there's some kind of continuity going on. Yeah. So with that in
0: mind, I think it'd be interesting to look a little more at the, the way that the witches operate in Pullman's world because they're, they have an interesting relationship to their demons where they have this ability to separate from them, they can send their demons far away. And uh, Pullman explores this a little bit um, as he goes along. It's sort of first introduced because uh, the the goose demon appears without her witch, right? And this is sort of very remarkable to Lyra at the time. Um, she's never seen something like this before. Uh, and that's sort of the first hint that there's something going on there. Um, but it's not till the very end of the whole series that we sort of see that the witches have a process or a ritual by which they voluntarily um, they undergo this separation voluntarily, and that this um, is is quite different from the kind of separation that the uh, the experiments in Volvanger have been attempting to to do with the, the severing by by the guillotine, the silver guillotine, right? Um, or or for example, what Lord Azrael does uh, at the end of the book, which is so horrifying, where he he causes the separation between Roger and his demon and it releases this energy, right? Um, And so what is that, what is that voluntary separation and how would that fit into this scheme and how would that go, go towards forging a a deeper relationship ultimately with your, with yourself, with your, uh, your inner friend or your inner life?
1: I think, Um, The way I understand it in terms of relating to a a human experience um, would be that um, it opens up the possibility of relating to your inner life in a different way. So the way that I've described so far um, is uh, getting to know yourself, you might say, um, in order to enrich or deepen or or resolve issues in in yourself, um, in your own particular life or maybe in relationships. Um, So it's kind of focused towards yourself. Um, but my sense with the witches um, and, and certainly with what becomes possible in human life is that instead of using your inner life um, as your own, as it were, possession, you can start to use it as a kind of um, sense organ or an antenna um, that can actually reach into the world. So for example, if I'm afraid of something, um, rather than thinking I'm afraid I must sort that out, um, maybe I can, as it were, take a step back from my fear, and learn something about what I'm afraid of. Um, it becomes sort of truth-bearing or information-bearing, um, and uh, uh, so it tells me about the world that's out there, as it were, rather than just my own inner life. Um, now, we, you know, it, the common words for this would be kind of intuition or inspiration. Um, you know, anyone who's done any kind of investigation, I think, has to learn this technique to some degree. Um, Being able to tolerate what's unknown Mm. in order that they can then get to know what's unknown and start to have ideas about it. Um, So creative processes involve this, uh, scientific investigations do. Um, I mean, to go back to Plato again, Socrates was very clear that um, you won't get very far in understanding life unless you can tolerate the unknown and uncertainty. Um, And it's at that moment where you can tolerate what you yourself don't know that the world starts to really grow. So it's not about, as it were, denying your responses to the world, but it's using them in a different way um, in order that they become, as it were, the first step into um, the wider world. um, And they become, as it were, a first sense of what might be in the wider world um, that's not just you, that's beyond you a bit.
0: Yeah, and that's really interesting because I think that ties in then with Pullman's scheme about the demon being able to change up until puberty and then assuming a fixed form um the 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 animal that sort of represents you uh in in a in a really close fashion um and i guess the the kind of exploration uh that you're describing there um does have a quality then of um of limitation as well right you've you do have to sort of lose something of the intimate experience of life. If you're going to step back and sort of observe it a bit more and, um, and uh, allow yourself to not really, uh, understand it at first, right? You kind of have that, that patience or that, um, withholding of, uh, of, I don't know, impetuousness that you, you see with, with kids who, who want to just get in there and find out what's going on. Um, how, how does the, uh, yeah how does the, the sort of changing aspect of the demon um how do you see that working in a psychological fashion
1: i think it's it, it portrays knowing yourself um that the children you know they 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 don't know themselves so well and they often have discussions with their demons you know should we do this shall we do that don't do that i'm afraid you know all that there's a lot of that kind of um uh, exchange going on whereas with the um adults when the demon settled i think the the settling of the demon is and um, the sense that the person has, um, uh, well, maybe not always consciously got to know themselves. Maybe the more admirable characters or the more powerful characters in demon, in uh, Paul's books um, are the ones that have got to know themselves. And so they're, as it were, focused um, in their adult life on the world. There are plenty of adults you meet that don't know them so, so well, but their demons are still settled. Um, but, yeah, it's something about how knowing yourself, knowing who you are, you've established your place in the world. Um, and that becomes um, the springboard, potentially at least, for an exploration of the world that's not really possible for the children.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this also, of course, connects with his other huge um, theological concept of, of dust, um, that he, he, he sets that out right in the front of the book uh, with Lord Asriel talking to the scholars and Lyra hiding and, and observing. Um, and she becomes fascinated. She doesn't really know why, um, but uh what what do you think that dust is uh, sort of representing for pullman and how does it how does it help us understand some of this process of um, self awareness of um, recognizing our own strengths and limitations and fears and and interests um,
1: what What do you make of dust yeah, I don't know quite whether this would be what. Philip will make of it, but I take Dust to be a representation of um, the many, in, uh, so that the particular nature of, of mortal life, um, it's fragmented, sometimes nature, um, it's, um, it's made up of many different parts, um, and the question then becomes is how do the many parts relate to the whole, or to a unity, to oneness, um, and again this is an ancient kind of question um, that Philosophers like Plato have always tried to address: you know, is it a kind of aggregation of the many that comes together to make the whole, which would be a more pantheistic view, um, or is it that each individual part reflects or mirrors the whole, um, so it becomes a kind of microcosm of the macrocosm, um, and that would be a more theistic view: the idea that um, the unity of perfect goodness is is reflected in a thousand fragments. Um, or a thousand particles of dust and i think you get different images that uh, that are toyed with in the mystery of dust through the books um and uh, uh and i think that you know that that um the fear of dust and the in the in the kind of christian interpretation of it of being associated with sin um uh, you know that's painted very darkly in the books but um, it, it comes from a human anxiety about how the many things might hold together into one, um, or is it all just kind of about to disintegrate into into dust? Um, <clears> but the more the more visionary side of dust, um, it has this kind of luminous golden quality um, that, as a, as, as a well, all the particles reflect um, the gloriousness of reality. Um, so uh, the, the relationship of the one to the many is it just you know a kind of smattering of particles, or is are, is each particle itself a kind of microcosm that reflects um, the, the macrocosm?
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I I think some of the first conversations Lyra has about this, she's really keen to show off what she knows about dust that she's heard um, when she's uh, in one of her lessons with Missus Coulter, and Missus Coulter immediately becomes very tense. And Lyra sort of slowly becomes aware that there's that she said something wrong, or that something's going on that she doesn't quite understand. Um, I find it really interesting that like the discussion of dust itself is such a big part of the story. um, That that would be like a level of becoming aware of your awareness, or something like that, or like becoming aware of the problem of the many and the one in the way you're describing it. Um, That consciousness of there being a problem of there being a maybe an insoluble problem or a paradox or difficulty. Um, that seems to be really key to what Pullman's doing in this story because as the narrator, he isn't really on the hook to fully disclose, right? Instead, he gets to sort of describe and explore and show you the, the journey that, that that understanding takes and leaves it up to the reader to come to their own Final understanding, or or maybe just to continue to work it out, you know. After they put the book down, uh, or to completely forget about it, I suppose if they if they're not interested in it or if they have other things to do, right? So it's like, as the storyteller Pullman gets to kind of pose the question and make it, you know, put a point on it a bit, right? This is a real difficulty. This is really serious, and there's something at stake here. Um, but he doesn't have to, as a scientist or a religious authority would, he doesn't have to really. Make his his theory right or his his dogma um, plain. It, it it remains sort of open. Um, what do you make of that? How how does that fit in um, then with the uh, with the maybe the more psycho psychological? Like what you do as a psychologist is it sort of similar? You sort of maybe pose questions for people and allow them
1: to explore them. Does um, that does that comparison make yeah. sense? so it's really interesting and what what springs to mind as you describe that is that um, the resolution of these enigmas of this experience of life um, is only really found in experience um, you know dogmas at best try to point um, and and of course you know philip was very keen on this they also trap dogmas trap um, but you know when they're working well they they kind of give you a hint or a nudge or they point um, but because the truth can only really be known in your own direct experience um and when you as it were waking up to how the many relate to the one and then you know and you can sort of talk about it and try and nudge other people in the same direction um i think that the narrative form that tries to take you on a journey again a sort of an old notion of theory about dust rather than the modern notion of theory the old Mm -hmm. notion that you on a journey that helps you to experience dust and and to have different takes on it um, that you can then weigh in your own heart and your own experience. And it's that gradually that builds up a complete picture. Um, So it's a direct relationship to it rather than a kind of neat summary um, Mm -hmm. that then causes all sorts of tensions and problems and figures like Mrs. Coulter get very committed to one take on it and can't tolerate other takes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That scene is, I, I just read this part, so I'm going very slowly through the book. And so I was looking closely at how she, she holds back her demon right her demon is like the scariest thing in the book really it's it's this golden monkey and she holds it back during that confrontation as as lyra is sort of becoming aware there's some problem here um and then in the next confrontation when they they're right before the, the cocktail party um her demon leaps on Pantalaimon and, and pins him down you know so there's this kind of explosion of that tension that had been built up little by little um, that that conflict that can erupt between opposing viewpoints um, it can be it can become very violent um, I take it to be kind of Pullman's main problem with religion is is that it it seeks to sort of oppress to to pin down other exploration even even not e, not a, a complete uh, concept yet but even the, the exploration of ideas it's it seeks to to limit those, and I just—I guess I don't know whether that's really true of religion anymore. Um, I know that historically that has been the case. Um, there's there's lots of gruesome examples, but um, I, I guess I just don't. I, I suppose with some fundamentalist sects and things like that, that that might be the case. But uh, I don't know that his 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 critique of religion as it's portrayed in in the magisterium, right, and Characters like Mrs. Coulter is is really all that accurate uh, to to modern religions or, or contemporary um, ch- churches and and faith communities. Um, I, I saw in your bio that you had been a pastor or, or a priest. Is that right? And um, maybe you could talk about sort of what you see as the religious um, I don't know field these days uh, or um, that space, what, what's going on there, um, and how, how did you, I guess, sort of transition out of that space to the one that you're in now?
1: Yes, yeah, so I was a, a Church of England priest, and, um, which is, you know, broadly speaking, a kind of more liberal church. Um, it varies a bit around the world, but certainly in England, it's, it's generally fairly liberal. Um, but still, I felt the pressure um, of a kind of, not magisterium like in the Roman Catholic Church, but um, a sort of conformity, um, and uh, and it felt very entrapping for a certain period of my life, and that was part of the reason why I left. Um, but I think that now when I read Philip Pullman's books, this is where the books start to... Um, you know, not, not really quite work for me. It's where it feels uncomfortable because it's like Philip Pullman's own dogmatism starts to dictate the narrative rather than the narrative being able to follow its own inner, inner spirit and dynamic. Um, and it's why, you know, the spoiler alert, the, the, the vision of the end of his Dark Materials, for me, just doesn't work at all, actually. It's a really big anticlimax. I mean, it's worth reading all the rest, but, you know, the, the actual, uh, the end is a bit of an anticlimax because He doesn't really see God, um, I don't think, Um, and um, it's like his own um, fixed points of view just won't allow him to do that, and that kind of comes out in the text. Um, And then, you know, so my own story, as it were, was going through my frustrations with the church, which I completely understand, and they are real, I think, still, even if they're not so extremely manifest as they, you know, have been at other times in the world. It's still quite an implicit. Tyranny um, in the church that is very wary of exploration, it's very wary of people making mistakes of um, personal development. Um, If you ask Christians outright, they'd say, Don't be ridiculous, of course, we're into that. But actually, there's quite an implicit uh, wariness of all that. So, I do understand that. And that there's actually a a psychotherapist called Donald Winnicott, British psychotherapist, who talked about how um, religions need to allow people to explore, to make mistakes, um, to toy, to try things out otherwise they denude the human soul, they kind of reduce our experience of life. Um, And I I do think that happens a lot. Um, You know, when religion is treated as if it's a sort of set of cognitive beliefs, um, rather than a participation um, with the world, to use Barfield's expression, that certainly um, feels it constrains people, it limits them. Um, But funny enough, although Philip Pullman is really into the exploration, his own beliefs and, 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 and fixed points of view Towards the end, you know, particularly in the sort of climax, they for me they limit his dark materials. I'll be interested to see how it goes in the new trilogy. I've read you know the, the, I've read the first one. Um, I don't know quite where it's going in terms of this bigger vision, of course, at all. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of a it'd be an intriguing question for me to see whether that's changed in him at all. Yeah, yeah. So his his new book
0: should be coming out before too long. The the continuation of this new trilogy, the Book of Dust. Um, i i am similarly uh, all you know a flutter to see what he does um to revise or to build upon that um that conclusion in um the amber spyglass which yeah i've i've heard that from a lot of readers that that one is a bit of a letdown in in various ways and a lot of them on on the the lines that you're describing that it's it becomes too closed and too almost dogmatic almost a caricature of what Pullman has Critiqued about religion, um, but just from the other side, so to speak. Um, and I, I, I see some of that as well. When I read these as a kid, I don't think I picked up on that much at all. You know, I just really loved the story. Um, but rereading now, I, I think I'm beginning to see that that um, that sort of problematic space. And I, I'm very, I'm, I, I suspect that Pullman is aware of that as well, and and is kind of working that out in in his um, further storytelling here
1: um so just because co- i don't i don't sense from what he says now as opposed to before that he's really changed his view on God or the church at all he's still quite adamant about it so it will be really inter- maybe his narrative is bigger than even you know him somehow some some kind of magic like that will take over
0: yeah yeah so to kind of close i guess what would your um Given the sort of strictures within religion, uh, maybe what would be the, uh, the 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 direction that it could take um, to become more viable, and what sort of directions could Pullman go in his new story that you think would help to open back up some of these um, avenues that seemed like he had uh, been been. Sh- sort of shutting down uh, in his
1: previous book? Well, to borrow a bit of Barfield, Barfield thought that the imagination is the key human faculty for we humans now. And we need to learn that the imagination is not just mere fancy, it's not just entertainment, um, but the imagination is precisely that which brings the external world to us. Um, you know, the imagination needs a lot of discernment, and it needs testing, trying out, and so on. But nonetheless, it's how we reach into the world, and when something comes back with the ring of truth, um, then we know we've discovered something new about the world. And the imagine delivers um, insights that sort of bed down, that expand our life, um, that have uh, longevity, um, that produce new results. Um, you know, it's a broadly romantic notion in the romantic tradition, coming from figures like Coleridge, um, which I know that Philip Pullman knows a lot about as well. Um, but it 's trusting that the imagination can tell you something objective as well as subjective um, it 's not just as a what 's going on in your own mind but there 's a kind of inner life to the whole cosmos that the imagination can channel and communicate as well um, you know our um, Our great task in a way is to rediscover the inner life of all things, not just our own inner life, difficult enough as that may be um, and uh, so that 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 's broadly the direction I, I would I, I wonder whether. Philip Pullman's really going to be able to run with, really taking the imagination seriously. Um, and, and seriously, not just telling us about our psychology, um, but maybe about um, the inside of the whole world. All right. Well,
0: thanks again, uh, Mark Vernon. Uh, I look forward to reading more of these authors that you've mentioned and um, continuing the conversation in, in the future.
1: Uh, thanks again. Yeah, well, thanks very much for picking it up. It's really fun to talk. All right. Well, I'll let you go.
0: Thank you again to Mark Vernon for joining me on this episode. I really enjoyed speaking with him and with all the guests who I've been fortunate to have on. Uh, If I have this right, I was just checking his website. It looks like he's working on a book about Owen Barfield right now. So I hope that everything's going well with that. now I'm going to transition us over to the musical arrangements for the imaginary video game. Uh, these will be um, the themes that I came up with, such as they are for John Fa, Fader Coram, the Zaal in the Eel Market, and the Spy Flies. Uh, before that, though, just a quick announcement here. I'm really excited. I, I got to uh, talked to Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor and uh, president of Signum University, uh, whose work I, I really admire, as you might know from listening to this program. He's been one of my role models in, uh, in my own projects on uh, EarthBound and the Golden Compass. And he has uh, asked me to head the Signum Academy So, as part of Signum University and MythGuard, the offerings for adults, um, whether for credit towards a master's degree, uh, that accreditation process is moving on as we speak, or just for fun, that's the MythGuard side of things, just for fans of uh, great books and movies and video games. uh, As part of that overarching project, the idea is that we'd like to offer content for younger listeners, readers, video game players as well. and so the uh, the Sigma Academy uh, began as a summer camp program a couple of years ago started with uh, uh, lectures by D. May Brinkley on uh, the Hobbit and a sense uh, last year grew to... Uh, four different books. I did some lectures on The Hobbit. Uh, there were also discussions on C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and uh, Madeleine Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. And all of these, uh, I thought, turned out really wonderfully, and, um, the goal moving forward is to create more courses, more projects, and uh, reach uh, a more of an audience uh, that would be through libraries, through uh, study groups and school groups, homeschool groups, all all sorts of uh, nonprofits and literacy um, programs that we're uh, hoping to work with, um, to promote great literature. Uh, and so I'm really excited about it. Um, getting back to work on it with, uh, other students, professors and staff at Signum. Um, and I wish you all a a happy new year and, uh, hope to have more news about that as we go along. So with that, Announcements over onto the songs.